This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I'm Not Your Shrink, a podcast about changing the dialogue in your life. I am Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, clinical health psychologist and couples therapist. Each week, we talk about everyday issues that people face with the intention of helping you to feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live your life. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode. I am so excited about today's guest. Dr. Soph is a clinical psychologist, life coach, and yoga teacher, and we are talking about all things related to boundaries. Listening to Dr. Soph is so soothing. She is from the UK and has a beautiful accent, but her message is so powerful about what we do with our emotions and feelings of shame, but also why we need boundaries, why we struggle with them, and how to go about making changes. I met Dr. Soph through an Instagram group of psychologists who are trying to get our work out into the world so that's more accessible for other people. And I was just thrilled to be able to work with her. So without further ado, here is our conversation about boundaries. All right. Welcome, Dr. Soph. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm really excited about our chat. So uh, for the listeners to know, uh, Dr. Soph and I are in an Instagram group together that we have actually never met in person, (laughs) Um, but we are two psychologists and um, trying to spread more of what we're doing out of the therapy room. And so Dr. Soph released this beautiful blog post about boundaries. And ironically, I was preparing for this podcast and I thought there is no one better to talk about this than Dr. Soph based on what I read. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I think it's such a wonderful thing that there's so many of us now on Instagram trying to get psychology out of the therapy room and boundaries are such an important thing that we all need to learn about. Yes, absolutely. We we all struggle with boundaries, don't we? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I have to say, before we kind of carry on, I think the first thing to talk about in boundaries is lots of us struggle and it's easy for us to jump to a conclusion that that means there's something we're doing wrong. Mm. So before we kind of jump into that and talk about boundaries and whether we have weak boundaries or strong boundaries, I just want to put a caveat in and that is, you know, Please don't blame yourself. Don't listen to your inner critic if you listen to this podcast, this recording, and think, hang on, I have weak boundaries. People with weak boundaries or like, you know, slightly malleable boundaries are often kind, gentle, Mm. giving. They put other people's needs before their own. And, you know, the world needs people like this. It's just (laughs) without boundaries, you might give away all of your energy and have nothing left for you at the end of the day, leaving you burnt out. So, Everyone needs to learn about boundaries. We could all do with strengthening them. But please don't blame yourself if you listen to this and think, hang on, I need to work harder on mine. Right. I think that's such a good caveat to start out because it's so easy to listen to things um, that we need to work on or that we need to change. And we get into this mode of being so critical on ourselves. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the double edged sword of personal growth it's like I want to learn more about myself I want to be the best I can be right because of the way our kind of minds are programmed we get into that and we're like oh it's going to be so great and then immediately think god why didn't I already do this what's wrong with <laughs> I should already be here 
<laughs> right. Yeah. So we just start to beat ourselves up. And, and Dr. Soph, do you find you talk about boundaries with, would you say, most of your clients? I would say 99.9% of my clients, <laughs> 99.9% of my friends, <laughs> every single family member, and myself on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So boundaries are super hard. Okay. So before we go into more about what boundaries are, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what brought you into being a psychologist? Of course. Yes. Gosh, it's always hard to sum yourself up in a nutshell. So I Isn't it? it to my first shot. Okay. So I am white, British, female. I would describe myself as curious and creative. Mm. and yeah I'm a psychologist and how did I get there well you know psychology wasn't a thing in school it wasn't an option and it was when I was 18 I was noticing that lots of people around me were I suppose really struggling Mm -hmm. struggling with their emotions struggling with who they were and who they are and you know I was 18 so I obviously was too Mm -hmm. I also noticed that everyone felt so ashamed and so terrified that having these feelings meant something about themselves that was bad and that often for people who tried to talk about it, they were kind of put into this in inverted commas, like crazy or mad or bad camp. And maybe doctors would offer medication, but there was very little offered in the way of, hang on, what's happening for us? Or maybe there's a way to understand this, or maybe this is quite normal being a teenager or being a human. And maybe there are other things we can do to skill ourselves up, you know, to understand ourselves and move forward. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really until experiencing my own life experiences and other people's that I thought there must be something else here that isn't just about shame or about medication. So that's really how I got into psychology. And then obviously I was in school forever. Psychologist, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Yes, it, the training is is really challenging, and that could be a whole episode <laughs> on itself. But yeah. you you know you right away talk about shame and how so many people struggle with that, and that's something that you were seeing even at such a young age. Totally, and you know. What actually kind of drove me to set up Dr. Soph, um, so set out on my own, was the fact that those things I was noticing um, as a teenager, I'm still noticing now every single day in the clinic. For example, mm-hmm. I worked in, so in the UK, most of us work in the national health, so that means you work within hospitals and healthcare's free. But I was noticing that people would be on these waiting lists for a really long time, and then they'd get to their first session, and it wouldn't matter what they'd been referred for, but the first thing was pretty much always the same, which is someone had an emotional experience which was frightening to them and no one had been able to or hadn't taken the time at any point to sit down and say oh so your emotions are normal they happen because of x and y they're actually your brain sending you a message when they feel this way and overwhelming it's because for example your fight or flight's been activated Mm -hmm. you know we're never taught at any point in our life emotions are normal this is what they mean instead we're often taught to kind of fear them and we're showed images every day or in movies that people who experience emotions or scary thoughts are kind of these like the bad ones the mm-hmm. you know I'm doing air quotes but the ones that you know no one wants to be like you know the people on the out the people who are again in inverted commons crazy right. so we all then become terrified of our emotions and ashamed any time we experience something that isn't joy or happiness mm-hmm. and so everyone is kind of living in this 
constant state of, oh, okay, I feel happy now. That's right. Oh, oh, no, I feel anxious. Oh, no, what does that mean about me? Does that mean I'm weak? I can't right. tell my friends because if I tell my friends, then they're going to judge me and think I'm weak or crazy. And so right. we just got this constant, not everyone, but I feel like lots of people have got this constant underlying level of shame for their own emotional experiences. So, yeah, I set out for Dr. Soph to try and get some of this really basic psychology or stuff psychologists consider to be basic out into the real world so that people can start understanding themselves rather than feeling like, oh, God, there's something wrong with me. I'm so alone or I can't reach out because people will judge me. Right. It's so normalizing, you know, even looking at all of your posts. And if you're looking for someone to follow on Instagram, it's at Dr. Soph. Is that right? Yeah. Unfortunately, it's actually at underscore Dr. Soph. Who oh, knows? Yes, that's right. <laughs> I would like to find the real Dr. Soph on Instagram. But yes, I <laughs> Um, but there are so many great posts about vulnerability and um, being able to share who you are without fearing that there's something wrong with you or that you'll be rejected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. You know, um, something, silence is very, very powerful. Mm. And because, you know, if we kind of start with the basis of already what I've said and we move on to. So we have an experience or something happens to us that creates um, shame, for example, or embarrassment or fear. We try to push it away. Mm-hmm. The problem is when we push something away, when we notice something about ourselves we don't like and we pretend it isn't there, it almost allows that fear to take on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. And it takes up more and more space in our mind. So by pretending we don't have vulnerabilities, often unwittingly, we become more fearful of our vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of what I write about is the fact that actually vulnerabilities are something every single person you pass on the street has. Fears, exactly the same. We all have these things we're worried about inside ourselves. But by stopping the silence, by reaching out to someone you know and trust and saying, actually, you know, there are these things inside me that I'm worried about, or there are these imperfections I have, and they make me feel scared or worried about what, you know, whether I'm enough. What happens is, firstly, (laughs) you take some of the power back from the fear, because it's no longer hiding inside you, hiding away in a dark corner, gaining power. You're using your own words. You're able to story it however you want to. So that's the first thing is to take some power back. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. Picture this. You're planning your summer getaway, what to eat, where to visit, what to do, and where to sleep. But what about the comfort of home while you're away? This is something I'm constantly considering because if I'm uncomfortable in my clothing, then I'm more irritated and then things overall just don't feel great. And this is where Cozy Earth comes in. Right now, you can get 35% off with code SHRINK at checkout. Cozy Earth isn't just about creating luxurious bedding and loungewear. It's about elevating and transforming your entire travel experience. Their bedding is so soft and buttery smooth, it beats any hotel sheets I've ever slept in. And Cozy Earth's bedding comes in these adorable totes, making it travel-friendly and hassle-free. These have been my go-to sheets for well over a year now, and they are a must no matter where you go. 
Plus, their loungewear is perfect for those long flights or car rides. Their temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew ensures that you stay cool and comfy on those long flights. I know not everybody is hitting the road or the skies this summer, and that's totally okay. You can also create your own sanctuary at home, and Cozy Earth has everything you need to make every moment feel more blissful. Trust me, once you experience the comfort and quality of Cozy Earth, you'll never want to go back. My pajamas, the kids keep asking why I'm still wearing them. Visit CozyEarth.com, use my code SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, at checkout to get 35% off. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using Loop Engage to help dampen the sound around me, and these Loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable, and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Mm -hmm. Often the other person is like, hang on, I feel like that too. And immediately the shame is kind of, you know, smashed because someone else is able to say, I see you, I hear you. I feel exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Connection with the other people, which is so empowering. So again, that breaks down some of the power of, you know, the kind of shame behind vulnerability. And finally, when you realize that lots of you feel exactly the same, suddenly you can start to think, oh, hang on, if we all feel like this, this can't mean there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Right, I'm okay. Yeah, it means there's something happening in our environment that's causing us all to feel like this. Maybe it's quite normal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so for me, talking, 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 understanding, 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 you know, looking for ways to connect with others. Those are kind of the three most important things for me in terms of how do we understand ourselves and each other and make ourselves feel better. Mm. You know, it's so powerful to hear you say this. And I, I wonder if you get this experience as well. I have people that often come to me in just my general life and say, oh, you probably don't think that. You you probably know that you're good enough. And, um, you know, they're surprised actually mm. to hear that I too struggle with those thoughts of, is there something wrong with me? Or I'm not enough or, right? And so yes. I wonder if you can even relate to that. Do do people view you in that way? Or do you even have those moments where you're, you get, 
stuck into that shame maybe you know how to get out of it quicker <laughs> okay so yes all these are to, to everything you just asked and said yes okay. <laughs> <laughs> um and it, what's really what I really resonated with is this idea that psychologists and therapists must have well, must not experience emotions, difficult emotions, fears, imposter syndrome. And that is a fascinating idea. And I love the fact that every day we're able to dispel this myth and we're able to say, you know, every single person will experience this on some level. And it really makes me think back to when I started training as a psychologist, because when I got into psychology, I obviously was experiencing, you know, on a normal level as everyone does, like stress, fear of failure of exams, um, imposter syndrome, all sorts of things. And I used to think I must never tell anyone else on my course, right. never even show a teacher that I'm struggling or a lecturer or a profession, professor that I'm struggling with the workload. Right. Because they, well, you can never be a psychologist. Because never. You, yeah, because <laughs> you haven't got your shit together. Excuse my language. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm nodding my head because it, it, I remember in my first year of training over and over again thinking, I can't do this. I can't yeah. do this. I can't yeah. do this. But I didn't drop out because the fear of failure. I can't fail. Oh, exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing double-edged sword, isn't it? Right. It drives you and undermines you continuously. Mm. And the best thing I ever learned was I think I was speaking to probably my first supervisor, like first mm -hmm. proper supervisor, I was an assistant psychologist. And he said to me, Sophie, what you'll realize is that pretty much every psychologist you ever meet has been drawn to psychology because they want to either understand themselves or someone else. Right. Everyone is trying to heal in their own way. And I was, I almost cried. I was so overjoyed. Mm. I was like, what? You struggle too sometimes and the people you know do too? Um, and it was, of course, it was, you know, it was like my eyes were suddenly opened. I was like, of course, because it's not a case of us and them, you know, the people right. who need support and the people who don't. It's everybody struggles. That's how right. we grow. We're just so alienated from the ability to talk about it that we mm. think that we're totally isolated in our experience. And that obviously makes us feel much worse. So, yes, every day people think, oh, I bet I bet Dr. Soph is like, got it all together and she never feels bad or anxious and I'm like oh, I'm a human just like you there are times when I posted the other day about it on Instagram where I'm trying to write a post and my brain's like you have nothing interesting to say and I'm like I need to see you in a critic nice right. one you're trying to derail me but you know what I've got this it's okay so in answer to the second part of the question is I still have those experiences but after studying for so many years I have lots of different kind of tools in my belt or two tools under my belt or in my toolkit to manage it just relating that even to to motherhood it's something that's very big and center for me in the sense of you know we start out motherhood in that first go and you don't have any tools in your tool oh, belt we no. don't we don't take a PhD in being a mother or being a parent in general, right? So of course we question everything we do. And it's really interesting to even use that analogy and relating it to being a parent or even being in a relationship or any stage in our life really that it's okay to struggle in it. Absolutely. And you know what's yeah. fascinating is all the way through school pretty much we're taught maths, okay? We're taught maths inside and out to the hardest level. And ultimately, later in life, all we really, not everyone, but for me, <laughs> all I really use maths for is totting up the bill and, you know, the interest at the end of like, <laughs> paying a check in a restaurant, for example. Whereas having a child, which is going to be the single most life-changing event that you may experience if you have one, 
we are given zero education on how to do that the only experience we have is okay so I've watched other people do it and I've seen them on tv and my parents have done it for me and I'm just gonna have to figure it out whilst I'm utterly sleep deprived (laughs) in my house healing physically and have something that I have to try and keep alive you know it's I think there's this idea as well in society that to be a parent you must be doing everything right Mm -hmm. but how can you possibly when you're really just kind of trying to survive moment by moment and do your best with the resources that you have right yes I think that's so key of just knowing that it's just moment by moment and in a hard moment it's okay that it's hard and you will struggle but that's okay yeah yeah exactly right no training for parenthood If you could sum it up in one part of what it is about being a psychologist that really fills you up, what what would that be? I'm sure there's many parts. That's probably a hard question. That's a hard question. Okay, what is it about being a psychologist? Hmm. Okay, I think that changes, you know, as kind of, as I change. But Mm -hmm. right now, what really fills me up is sometimes I feel almost vitriolic, (laughs) like, furious that we have grown up in a society that constantly tells us we're not good enough you know marketing is literally based on let's make everyone feel inadequate so that when Mm. we want to sell them something they will think both unconsciously and consciously I need that thing because if I have that thing then maybe I will finally be enough Right. I feel so unbelievably furious that our society runs on making us feel terrible about ourselves. But what really fills me up about being a psychologist in this present moment, you know, so this year or over Mm -hmm. the last years is every day I get to unpick some of the beliefs that we've all internalized Mm -hmm. and pick where they come from and help people notice what it is that drives some of the feelings that they have, the fears that they have, and then get them to sit with people and like, okay, so do you believe that you are not good enough now that you know what marketing has done to you? Mm-hmm. What would you like your life to look like if you had a different set of beliefs? How can we use kind of the emotions that you have towards the fact that a society has done this to you right. to keep enough energy to take responsibility for who you are in the future. So I love that I get to unpick these stories that we've all kind of been socialized to believe about, about ourselves and then help people and myself to create a kind of different future, future me and future them. Right, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. Okay, so let's go back to boundaries. Okay, go for it. So before we even get into what a boundary looks like or what it is, I wonder, has there ever been a time when you've struggled with setting a boundary or having your boundaries (laughs) in place? Okay, so this is funny because this goes back to my kind of realization about the majority of psychologists and therapists. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, in my experience, myself included, most psychologists, um really want to do their best at all times right so that's the nice way of saying a lot of us are perfectionists yes yeah I can relate to that (laughs) there you go go. and therefore 
often because we're so driven to do our best at the cost of you know often our own emotional well-being this is early on in the stage I think often I realized when I started kind of doing psychology or when I was starting working that I was almost unable to say no so people mm-hmm. would ask me to do something in work or in my life or in a session and I'd just be like yes 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 of course I'll do that and I'll do that and I'll do that as well right. and it took a while for me to realize oh gosh the reason I'm so exhausted so utterly stressed out is because I have almost zero boundaries around my time and what I need because I'm a people pleaser essentially mm-hmm. and that realization had a profound effect on my life because once I realized it and realized okay that's something I would genuinely like to change I then did a lot of work on okay can I be enough and say no to people and when mm-hmm. I yes I was like great I'm going to find a way to start saying no I'm going to find a way to put my boundaries down but at the same time still engage myself in the activities and the work I really care about so it was a journey and it's an ongoing journey (laughs) of course right and and that that kind of core need it gives you something you have something that you're getting from pleasing other people so it makes sense of why you keep doing it right Mm. I always say to clients we do what we do for a really good reason Mm. yep absolutely absolutely and going back to that inner critic piece is to not blame yourself for this. But yes, when you see other people happy, you feel good. So that okay. self-worth um, <laughs> being filled up by other people, right? Yes, because you're externally like, they think I'm good. I must be good. I must be good. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. That's a tough one. Okay. So so tell me, Dr. Soph, what is a boundary? Okay. So great question. So a boundary is essentially the line where you end and others begin. Mm. So your boundaries are your guidelines that let other people know how to treat you and how you will respond if someone pushes those limits. And, you know, they come in so many forms. So it could link to your emotional boundaries and what you believe to be important. It could link to your values, your beliefs. They could be physical boundaries, sexual boundaries. Or they could even link to your finances. Mm. And you need them really with families, friends, lovers, work colleagues, you know, every single person that you meet. And they pervade our whole life. Right. So I, I want to say that again. So a boundary is a line where you end and someone else begins. Yes. Yes. You know, it's funny talking about the example of when I was kind of starting psychology and, you know, where I was just like, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. <laughs> It was almost like there was no end, you know, like there was no end to me. There was no line. I would just give all my energy to that other person. Mm -hmm. So when I started deciding, okay, what work do I actually want to do? What work will fill me up and help the other person? That's when I started to consider who am I? What do I value? Where do I put, where do I allow my energy to go to and then to stop? Mm -hmm. When I started saying no, it let other people know. Ah, so Sophie is going to do these kind of things. But when we put too much on her, she'll say no. And then we know this is her limit. And so Mm. suddenly I was able to teach myself and others what I hoped for, what I expected, what was important to me and what I was willing to give. Mm. It's almost sometimes it feels like the boundary is almost an elephant in the room. Like we know we all have them, right? (laughs) 
(laughs) they're there um it's in our space it's something that's always there but i it's almost like the elephant is not talked about or maybe they're even invisible Mm -hmm. and some boundaries don't have to be talked about you know some boundaries are really implicit some boundaries might be picked up just purely because of your body language so if you think about it if we were talking face to face rather than, you know, over our headphones. We've turned um, our video off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you said something to me which kind of crossed a boundary of mine. Mm-hmm. I might not even need to say something because probably my body language would give it away. You know, maybe I'd fold my arms, my eyebrows would knit together. Mm. And so some boundaries just don't need to be spoken about because they're easy to read in the way that we act. But actually, more often than not, to me, the reason we don't talk about our boundaries is because I think a lot of us are raised to believe that boundaries is like it's like a dirty word almost. You know, saying no to someone is a bad thing because a lot of us are raised as well to believe that other people's needs and wishes are a priority over ours. Mm -hmm. So because of our fear, again, actually going back to the idea that a lot of us just want to be accepted and seen as worthy or enough. Often some of us worry, but what if I say no to this person? What if I put a boundary down? Will they still like me? Right. They turn on me. So suddenly, if you come from that belief system, yes, your boundaries become the elephant in the room, the thing that you desperately want to say but can't. I'm so glad you said that because people really struggle with feeling entitled to say no. And I know we'll talk about that in a little bit about what you can do to set a boundary, but it's almost, and even thinking about what to call this episode, I struggled with the word boundary because it sounds like such a dirty word. Doesn't it? It it? does. It's like a harsh word. Yes, it's really harsh because it sounds so fixed. And you know, boundaries can be, so we what we don't realize is that we have so many boundaries, loads of them mm. we won't have. Some of them will be bottom line boundaries. Those are the inflexible ones, the absolute, absolute no's. So for example, a really obvious one that we kind of teach young people is when it comes to intimate relationships, if you don't want to go there, you say no, and mm-hmm. the other person must respect that. So that's a firm boundary. Right. Then some other boundaries you might have are more like, I'm 80% committed. There is 20% of the time I could be more flexible. Mm -hmm. So boundaries are often seen as a dirty word because they sound quite like selfish and quite rigid. They are not. They're important. Some of them are fixed. Some of them are more flexible. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like the word selfish. Some of these words now have such a strong connotation, which we kind of need to step away from because boundaries were honestly one of the things that helped me most in my life. Right. Absolutely. And and I would have to agree with my own as well, that I can think of so many times and even more so around times of transition or times of stress and struggle that boundaries are really important around that time. Absolutely. Oh, my word. Yes. That's when we need them more than ever. When especially when our kind of time schedule is suddenly packed. The funny thing is, though, or the very annoying thing is that. And I'm sure you might have noticed this too, and certainly with my clients, with my friends, as well as myself, you know, we can do a lot of really good work in changing our automatic patterns. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to time of stress, we slip back into our old patterns. Mm -hmm. So this is really like a really important thing to think about with your boundaries. You know, you can do really good work at shifting your boundaries and becoming really boundaries, but you have to forgive yourself when during times of stress, your boundaries slip. 
and you have to work doubly hard to reinstate them because it's not your fault that during times of stress you slip into your old ways. It's literally to do with the way that <clears throat> those neural pathways are kind of programmed into your brain and what happens during times of stress. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> another space for self-forgiveness, <laughs> self-reflection, and then just getting back to what's important to you. Yes, absolutely. Just tuning into what's important. Mm-hmm. And um, where, where do we learn boundaries? So great question, especially as you know, you've already brought parenting in. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're learning our boundaries from the moment that we've become conscious. Mm -hmm. You know, we're developing them by watching the adults in our lives, by watching the way they respond to and treat each other, by watching the way that they respond to our requests and treat us as children. So if you think really early on, for example, say you had a diary and you asked, you know, the adults in your life, please don't read my diary. Right. If if they didn't read it, then you're like, well, what you learn is I can tell someone what I require and they will respect it. Right. And likewise, the other way around, the adults in your life might have told you, okay, let's think of some examples. Knock on our bedroom door before you come in. Mm -hmm. Or you're allowed to go out, but you must be home by a certain time. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the fun part. And I think for all parents, they'll have experienced (laughs) it. The reality is when we're young, we usually learn about boundaries by pushing them, by trying to push the limits, by getting into trouble. Because it's the consequence. So the thing that happens when we've pushed the boundary that teaches us what will happen if we cross another person's limit. Right. And I think what's important there. And I remember reading about with parenting with my with my young children. Um, but for children, they don't really know why they push boundaries. No. no. And, and I and I'd argue that for adolescents as well. Right. That front of their brain is not developed completely. Mm-hmm. And it's not just adolescents. You know, think about adults. You know, when you meet someone new or when actually let's think about it like this. Say you have a friend who's always been quite unbounded with you. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly they start being boundaries and they start saying no to you. Oh, yes. At first, there will be a response inside you like, a hang on, she normally says yes, or he normally says yes. Mm-hmm. So, and then unconsciously, you may not even do it on purpose, but you start pushing it a bit. You're like, oh, but it would be really useful if you did help me and if you did do that thing. So you don't intend to, but you notice maybe you're becoming a little bit emotionally manipulative. And it's not because, I don't think it's because you're consciously, you know, trying to push the other person mm-hmm. it's because you're almost shifting to a new way of understanding this human and you learn okay what is her limit now what is her new limit now by testing it okay oh no she's really serious about this or oh no all I needed to do was push her a little bit more and then she caved into my way of seeing things right so yes kids do it because it's a really important way to learn about the world mm-hmm. adults also do it especially anytime someone shifts their behavior trying to understand what is it about this person what is it that I need to know about them how do I learn how I need to treat them so I have to say I I when I was thinking about this I'm already teaching my daughter about boundaries I mean we do it we do it early on Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm nursing right now and I never thought I would have to say this but I'm saying please don't play with my nipple (laughs) (laughs) And it grates my nerves. And sometimes I try to hold out, right? So as a boundary setter, I'm trying to hold out and say, okay, it's not, it, it's just the perfect analogy. I'm trying to hold out and say, it's not that bad. It's not that bad, but it's it's not. I don't enjoy it. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And, and, and in that example, it's really good to set a boundary. Yeah. And, 
And it leads me to my next point, though, of that, you know, we can't control how the other person responds. Would you think that's important to talk about with boundaries? Yes. Oh, my word. Yes, 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 yes. So, sorry, I'm still kind of giggling about the No, that's okay. (laughs) Because it goes either way. Sometimes she respects my boundaries, right? She's 16 months. She understands no. And and so she stops. And then other times she gets really mad and fusses off. And it's, it's a big, it's a, well, it's, it's a tantrum at this point, yeah. but, yeah. um, right. So our boundaries are so important. So important. And the thing is exactly as you say, okay, so boundaries are two way. Okay. So what I mean by that is say, I know what my boundaries are. I need to realize that the other person is entitled to their response to my boundary Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I should change my boundary. It just means that I need to stand my ground and be okay with someone else responding, perhaps in a way that's quite emotional. Right. So like one of the things I always talk with people about is almost learning a cope. When you start instilling your boundaries is learning a coping statement such as others are entitled to their response. And at the same time, I am entitled to be treated well and to set limits. Yes, I like that. I like that coping statement because I often hear from people, they'll say, well, they should just know not to do that or they should just know not to talk about this or or whatever that might be. Yeah, and people can't read minds. Right. So people don't just, you know, it's so easy to assume, oh, but that person should know. But it's like, well, should they? You're right, right. We we, we have to help other people mm-hmm. understand our boundaries. Absolutely. How... How would you know that you're struggling with your boundaries? What would be some signs? Okay, so this is a good one. Okay, so some of the signs are kind of the top two that things are really tricky for me. One is you are exhausted a lot of the time and can't seem to figure out why. And this may be because you're just giving away so much of your energy. Now, if you're a new parent, you're probably going to be exhausted for many more reasons than your boundaries. So this right. isn't kind of a standalone thing. But this is something I find that's really, really common in terms of I've given away so much of my energy and I'm exhausted, but I can't figure out why. So that's kind of number mm-hmm. one. And, and I would say with that, yeah. too, though, as a new parent, if you are feeling that way, it is a sign to change something. So go into that self-care mode. Take that. Go take that longer shower. Leave baby with someone else and, and be able to look after yourself. Right. Perfect. Yeah, that's such a lovely example. Absolutely. Um, and then another one. But again, this is kind of at the more definitely think about your boundaries end is when you almost start to wonder what you even like in the world or what's important to you or who you really are in terms of your values. And that, I mean, not everyone will experience this, but if you've had a life of putting other people's needs first and Mm. going along with what they say for fear of upsetting them, offending them or putting them off you, then you can start to feel like, you're not even ensure of your own identity because it's so mm-hmm. fundamentally based on the needs of others. So those are kind of my top two kind of signs that maybe you want to think about your boundaries. But other more subtle ones are you really hate letting other people's down. So you other people down. So you often go along with what they say. Mm-hmm. Responsible for how other people feel. So you worry whether they're having a good time. Mm-hmm. So you feel guilty and anxious because you're worried about that. Right. So really watching the other person. Yes, exactly. 
and a kind of another little section that I always think about is whether you feel as though people almost take advantage of you a lot. You feel a little bit annoyed often because you're thinking other people don't really respect what I think or what I want. So those are kind of the little warning signs or the things to look for more to the point if you're thinking, how are my boundaries? Do these things resonate with me? Is there something that I could do with changing? Right. Oh, that's so important. So where where do we start then? Because this is such this is such a big it's a big piece. It's oh. really important in all areas of our life. Um, where, where would we start to know how to change this? Okay, so great. I've made a worksheet that people who are listening, if they want to get involved, can do. Wonderful. That would be great. And we'll have that up. You can go to drtracyd.com and we'll have all the links there so that you can print it out and go through it with all of the other show notes. Yeah, perfect. So, But I'll run through kind of the, some of the main steps. So the starting point, what to do next and practice. Okay. So the first thing is actually sitting down with a pen and paper and asking yourself some quite well questions that seem quite simple but might take you a while to answer okay so for example how often do you worry about what people think what they Mm. think about you about your choices do you feel guilty wanting to do things your your way and why is that Mm. when did you last say no to someone what happened how did it go Oh, right. And, and, you know, I can remember even this one time where it was it was a pivotal no for me. And that person, actually, a dear loved one, shut me out. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's even important to remember that what has been your experience Mm -hmm. of someone saying no to you? Because then the next time you go to say no, it feels hard. Really hard. And also remember that, you know, as a sideline, the way that our brains react to stress mm. is very important here. You know, it's it's a sad thing to note, but our brains essentially have only evolved to act in two or three ways mm-hmm. when it's danger in inverted commas. So, you know, in the old days, you're in a field, maybe there's a tiger at the door, your brain <laughs> prepares you to run or fight for your life or kind of to stay still and wait to see what happens. But that is the same system that we still employ now. In our modern days when there's not a tiger at the door. But your brain now interprets danger based on the beliefs you have. So, for example, if you've been raised to believe that other people liking you is the way that you kind of find your self-worth, then every time someone gives you a signal that maybe they don't think you're enough, they don't think that you're good enough, your brain activates the same danger system. So, in other words, creates all these physical responses in your body that, that essentially would help you if you were running or fighting for your life. But instead of you standing there with a racing heart, sweaty palms, you know, energy in your arms and legs, your brain's racing, you're feeling terrible. So allowing yourself to recognize what happened last time I said no or what mm-hmm. happened when I said no to me allows you to honor the fact that actually you might have these quite strong stress responses in the future when you try to say no. And it's totally understandable because of your past experiences. Yes. So, you know, if you had that and someone shut you out, of course, in the future, when you try to say no, it's going to be awful because right. your, your brain's detecting danger, causing all these physical symptoms, which make you think, oh, no, something really bad's happening. When actually it's not that something's really bad's happening. It's just that your brain's thinking this bad thing happened now and I need to prepare you to protect yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Writing, you know, running and fighting for your life is not the appropriate response in that situation, but your brain doesn't know that. Yes, of course. So that's kind of the first bit is really think about how you feel about your boundaries and, you know, think about how the way that you are putting your needs out there, how they are getting in the way of what you want in your life. Mm. And in what way would being able to tell people what you want change your life? How would this help you kind of reach your life goals? So that's kind of the first bit. The second bit I always suggest to people is almost writing down what would be five rules to being your friend, your partner, your family member, your colleague, which of these are non-negotiable and which are flexible? Ah, interesting. Can you give an example of a rule someone might have? Okay, so for example, I think the easiest one is always about physicality, right? Mm -hmm. So, and we've already touched upon it. So if you're my new partner, if I tell you what I want in intimacy, you know, in an intimate situation, you must respect that. So that's non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. However, um, as a new partner, maybe maybe I have a thing of I don't uh, don't respond to phone calls after 10 p.m. I'm just you know off the top of my of head. course of course that's probably more of a flexible thing. So on a really right. stressful day, you know, you'd ignore all of their messages after 10 p.m. But on a day when it's exciting and you've got time, you'd be like, okay, fine, this is flexible to me. Mm. I don't see that as a boundary violation. They're not taking up too much time. Some days this is is rigid, other days it's not so much. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. There's flexibility and some are non-negotiable. Yes, like being my friend, for example, um, a rigid one would be for someone to be my friend, they mustn't talk about me behind my back in a way that's telling my secrets and my confidential stories to others Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that that to me would be very rigid Mm -hmm. right and I could see something maybe more flexible about the response times of say a text message perfect exactly or them being able to be there for you in your time of need because you have to recognize other people might not be there for you all the time right and and that's that's the key too right In, in relationships is that even in our romantic relationships, when we put a need out there, unless the house is burning down, they don't have to respond. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. So that's why sitting down and thinking about like five rules is a really good place to start. And I have to say, when people sit down and do this, myself included, at first, you're like, oh, I can't even think of one. Mm -hmm. So it's about not expecting yourself to come up with these boundaries straight away, but maybe, for example, to take some time to journal. So setting aside some time each day to write about the things that make you feel good and the things that have made you feel anxious, stressed, rejected or vulnerable and noticing if there's any patterns because that might teach you something about what's important to you. Right. So does that feel like a good start? That's a great start. Okay, so we've got the kind of sitting down and thinking what's important to you. We've got thinking about how to connect with what's important to you with journaling. Maybe you could do some mindfulness meditation. That's always really useful. But the final and the most important part is putting those boundaries into practice. Mm. And it might sound weird, but you need to practice saying these boundaries on your own to yourself in a neutral tone when you are feeling calm, no one's around because (laughs) you're not used to doing it in the moment if you're feeling stressed out about trying it, remember I've told you that when you feel stressed, your brain kind of puts you into fighting or running for your life mode. Suddenly that calm, neutral tone, the ability to think calmly and clearly goes out of the window and suddenly yes. your, 
you're panicking or you're saying something that you later regret or you just don't even say your boundary. So, And, and when it comes to work, what I would say to people when it, or even commitments in general, if you mm. are someone that has a hard time putting the no out there or mm. you, you know about yourself that you say yes a lot, give yourself that 24-hour rule with that statement of, that's a great idea. I'll get back to you in X amount oh, of time. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. And, buy and yourself then, time. <laughs> yes, buy yourself time because then you can move away, calm down that fight or flight response, right? Yeah. Of, oh no, here I have to say no. What am I going to do? And you shout, how could you ask me this again? I told you last time. <laughs> yes, exactly. But instead, just giving yourself that space to step back and then you can learn to respond over time. Yes. And what I really like is thinking about responding with this I kind of always go with a three-part response. So to me, this is the way that I try to instill my boundaries and with my clients, get them to be able to talk about the needs they have whilst also trying to bypass the defenses of the other person, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So it's much, you know, this takes a lot of practice, but essentially this is, the first part is stating what happened in a scenario without saying when you did this, Or I told you a million times, because as soon as you say you, the other person's defenses come up and suddenly the whole conversation falls apart. So you say what happened, so the behavior, the action, the event that you're referring to. Second part, what your boundary is and how you feel about it. I'll explain more in a second. Third part, what you would like in the future. So let's think about work, because you just gave a really good example there. So say, for example, you've been a yes person in work, and they've been putting more and more stuff onto your desk, and suddenly you have zero time to do any of it, and you're wanting to try out a new boundary. You could say, using this kind of three-part message, thank you for asking me to work with you, or to mm-hmm. do that of work. So, that's so stating the, what happened. Yeah. The boundary is the next part, which is, I actually don't have time at the moment what, so this is then what you'd like in the future. Are you ready? So I thank you for asking me to work with you. I don't have time at the moment. Please keep me in mind for future job items. And if I have time, I will let you know. Right. Then the third part is checking in. So the final part is checking in and you just say, is that okay? Hmm. I like the checking in piece. Eh? <laughs> so putting it out there and then yeah. also you're, you're also making yourself, um, vulnerable feels too strong of a word but maybe I'll just go with it you're almost making yourself vulnerable by saying give me feedback on what I just said to you yes and I suppose when I say is that okay it often it's more you could say is that clear is that clear right yeah Yeah. so (laughs) the first few times when you're not feeling able to get full feedback it might be does that make sense Mm -hmm. or is that clear Right. Okay. I like this. So stating what happened when this happened, mm-hmm. what you feel about it and what you yeah. would like in the future. Yeah. And, and it's very the- non-blaming. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's great. And it, and it owns your own position. Right. It doesn't throw anything at the other person. And I think that you can own your own emotion without saying, you know, in this situation, you're not saying, actually, I'm really overwhelmed at the moment. I could, I'm worried I'm not even going to be able to cope with the amount of work I have yet. You're not saying Mm. that. Instead, you're saying, this is great. Unfortunately, with the amount of time I have, it's not possible. But I really want to be considered again in the future. Does that make sense? Yes. So what I actually learned in my career is to walk, to, to stop saying I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. 
And we, we, we joke a little bit about it being a Canadian and a polite thing. And I wonder if you can even relate to it as well. Uh, but we I say, I'm so we say sorry every third word. Yes, right. I'm so sorry. I'm not able to do that. <laughs> and, and actually, it, it's not your boundary is not something that you need to apologize. It's unfortunate. Yeah. But it's not something that you need to apologize for not being able to take on everything. Not at all, you know. Learning to say no is so good for you, but also it's so good for the other person. Remember, you're training the other person how you want to be responded to and how they can get the best out of you. And mm. think about being a parent, by being boundaried, you're teaching your children how they can navigate relationships, how mm-hmm. they can navigate the kind of the world you know if they get clear boundaries and they understand so this is the way that I should interact with others or could interact with others and make them feel good they can then go out into the world and feel like I've met this new person I I know that they're going to be boundaried with me I know what's expected of me I know how to show them what I need so right. actually you're doing you're doing people a service yes being boundaried and by saying no and in right. a work environment by saying no you're meaning you're you're showing someone when I show up to your work, I will do my absolute best rather mm-hmm. than I'm just going to try and do something as quickly as possible with the limited time I have. Right. Yes. Are there other things that people could be doing to to help them learn how to set a boundary? Yeah, for sure. You know, like learning coping statements, like I said. Ah, uh, yes. Coping statement is because remember, once you set your boundary, you might have this overwhelming urge to cave mm-hmm. and to retract your comment. So instead of doing that, I always recommend a coping statement such as setting boundaries is a good way for me to preserve my energy and what I think is important. It's also helpful for others as it helps them show, like learn how to treat me. Right. So another step. But, but honestly, so apart from learning self-soothing skills, so breathing exercises, grounding techniques, mm-hmm. if you feel overwhelmed, the final and most important thing is stand your ground. Yes. Once you've set your boundary, stay put. If you go in, if you give in, it sends a mixed message. Right. It teaches the other person that all they have to do to get their way is push harder, shout a little louder, argue with you a bit more. So, you know, a really good example is if you think about a child, for example, I was thinking of my son right away. <laughs> Have you got an excuse? You think of an example? Oh goodness, um, I could think of many. Um, <laughs> you know, something like he he was mad and and angry at something, and so he hits the door, mm-hmm. and I say I don't want you to hit the door, and so he hits it again, uh-huh. and, he, and and you know it's just the pushing and pushing for attention. Yeah. Yeah, because um, attention isn't a bad thing, right? But he's right. he's set, he's testing. But what will really happen if I? What do will this? really happen? Yeah. yeah. And and when I come down to it with with him and with children, it's about attention. He needs something from me. Yes, exactly. Like, and he can't communicate it, and so he's just trying yeah. to push in any way he can to get the uh-huh. attention. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I think I've grown up in an environment where, where like the word attention would almost be seen as dirty, like, oh, they're just trying trying for attention. But actually, I think what's lovely about what you're saying is you mean attention as in they have a need and they don't know how to meet it. Right. Absolutely. And, and actually, you know, it happened last night. Um, he, he was doing the door kicking and it, we, we were just not able to click out of it. And so mm-hmm. I, I gave him a few kind of moments trying to do more of the, you know, 
I see your emotion. It's okay to feel frustrated. You can hit your pillow. I can't let you hit the door. Um, of course, I'm getting frustrated in that moment as well. Um, but then I see it and I switch gears. And so I say, you you need you need me, don't you? And then I pick him up and we do a little airplane and then he starts to laugh and then we're both oh, laughing and then we move on. Yes, yes. Amazing. Exactly. There are so many really good examples of this where mm-hmm. you also have to, with a child, you have to stand your ground and at the same time be thinking, if this behavior is the tip of the iceberg, what does it mean? <laughs> There's so many different parallels going on. And I think a really lovely example of standing your ground is, okay, say for example, sweets. You've said to your child, we don't have sweets or we have sweets once a week or twice a week, you know, whatever your boundary is. Yeah. And then you go into it and this is new and you go into a shop and your child sees sweets and the child wants sweets. And you say, do you remember that conversation we had sweets once a week? And they start to shout and you're like sweets once a week. And then they shout again and they shout louder. Now, if you give in at this stage, if you think, oh, this is embarrassing. Everyone can see I want an easy life. <laughs> if you give in, I totally understand why you would do so, because right. suddenly they're happy again. However, what your child has learned in that instance is when mummy says no, all I need to do is kick up a fuss. The yes. louder I kick, the faster mummy gives in. So <laughs> totally understand why people give in. At the same time, we need to realize that sometimes when we give in and we feel like it's for an easier life, it's not that our child wants to be noisy and kicking up a fuss, but we've just un- unintentionally taught them, it's okay, the way that you get me to do what you want is just by making louder noises. Yes, to push more. Mm. Right. Oh, these are they're they're such great examples, and and they are hard. They're so hard. Oh, People struggle so with this. Hard, and yeah. of course they do. You know, if you're a parent, especially, and you're already busy to your limit and you're already worrying am I doing good enough and then you're in the street and your child is screaming and people are looking yeah I really really totally understand why you would want to just be like oh just have the sweets because in the grand scheme of things one bag of sweets is nothing (laughs) you know of course it's so hard it's so hard And I wonder if it's worth to even say this, this is a big change that if if you're struggling with this, that it's not something that happens overnight. Um, That that also too, it would be okay to to reach out to other people. Oh, my word, yes. And you know, we've now gone full circle, which is really wonderful, kind of back to some of the stuff we talked about at the beginning of yes, when we worry that this is something that we're experiencing alone, we start to have meaning make about it and often we feel ashamed or we feel isolated or worried about what that means about us as a parent or as a human but the thing is if you look around you everyone's doing that too so if you're mm. able to reach out to someone and say oh my word this thing's happening and I'm struggling and I know I could do something different but it just feels so overwhelming it not only lets someone else know oh you're in need of emotional support right now mm-hmm. but it also gives the other person an opportunity to say oh my word I feel exactly the same let's have a cup of tea together or do something that makes both of us feel better right yes connect (laughs) connect Connect. with other people yes connect oh that's beautiful so really coming full circle of you as a psychologist learning to connect with people to help them with their vulnerability I, and also I help myself with my vulnerability by talking to other people. You know. <laughs> of course. Therapists are learning so much off their clients every day. It would be unfair to say I sit there like, oh, I'm so helpful. It is yes. bi-directional. 
Yes, absolutely. I, I That's one of the things I love about my job is I learn so much about people and I'm often everyday inspired. Yes, exactly. Exactly. People are wonderful things. So you started off by telling us that there have been times in your life where boundaries for you as well mm-hmm. have been have been difficult. Mm-hmm. And if you could give one piece about how you really put this into motion or the one thing that someone should do or could do or willing to, what, what would that be? How did you learn to do that? Um, so probably all the steps I've kind of talked about, but really finding out and being playful with saying no. I think mm. that's really important to me. Kind of trying it only at first with the things that are absolute limits. Mm-hmm. So your workload is just too much. Saying no to the re- you know to something that doesn't feel too painful to say no to, where the kind of outcome won't feel too threatening. So for me, it was just starting to say no. I'm imagining my first no was something like, um, I'm dreadfully sorry, I don't think I can. I mean, I definitely can't, but I can, but maybe I could, but I shouldn't, so I won't. So I'm sorry about that. Is that okay? <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> um, so finding a way to get to the point where I felt able to say no and then stand my ground and breathe through the response. And actually, the more and more I did it, the more I realized, oh, it's actually fine. Right. The thing I thought was going to happen didn't. Or more to the point, the more I've practiced saying this, the more people understand what my limits are. And so it's the outcome is less stressful. This has been such a beautiful conversation with you, Dr. Soph. I am so thankful to have you on our show so early on. Oh, I um, loved it. Thank you. You have given us so much information about... Uh, you as a psychologist about the power of turning on the light to get to heal and deal with shame and allowing ourselves to be connected and vulnerable and then to really learn what it is that we need and to set those boundaries in our life to live a good life. Absolutely and to really you know we all have a limited amount of energy. Energy is not an endless resource. Mm. Every day you wake up and you have a certain amount of energy for that day. And for you to do your best, so to be the kind of person you want to be, but also to be there for the people who are important to you, you need to set boundaries because it will preserve the limited energy you have and ensure it goes to the places that it's most needed and that benefits you and others the most. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. For our listeners, you can head over to drtracyd.com where I have all of the links available, including a link to the handout from today's episode. That's drtracyd.com. If you're looking for more information about Dr. Soph, you can go to drsoph.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at dr.tracydalgleish or on Facebook, Dr. Tracy Dalgleish. I would love to know what you thought of today's episode, so please leave me a review or send me a message and let me know. And until next time, have a great day and remember to take care of you. Remember, this podcast is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional.
Hey, I'm Charlene Joint, and you may remember me from season 18 of The Bachelor, and this is my husband, Andy. Hello. Together we host Dear Shandy, a relationship podcast where we answer all your burning relationship questions and satisfy your guilty pleasure, aka bachelor needs. Not only do we provide the best bachelor recaps in all the land. So we're told. But we even bring on your favorite couples from Bachelor Nation for live double dates. Subscribe to Dear Shandy. We guarantee belly laughs, razor sharp advice, and to never take ourselves too seriously. 